Hit with Jared Correa. With guest Bruce LaFetra, we play a round of technical knocks out. And then, Jared makes us all question his taste in television and film by revealing some very unusual favorites. But first, your host, Jared Correa. That bang hound you hear in the background can only mean one thing. It's time for the Legal Toolkit Podcast. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though my random orbital sander truly invites chaos. I'm your host, Jared Career. You're stuck with me because David Letterman was unavailable. He was annoying Kevin Durant. But let's be honest, everyone annoys Kevin Durant. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Bruce LaFetra, the client whisperer, I have a tragic tale to tell, which I've titled A Flipping Disaster. As I mentioned just before this, I have horrible news. I have a smartphone. Now, apart from having a BlackBerry for a hot minute in like 2009, I've never owned a smartphone. I've always used flip phones, mostly without internet access, though the new ones do have internet access. Uh, That is hella slow, if you're interested. And that's the way I like it. It's glorious. I'm never distracted since I don't have notifications pinging all the time, and I can straight up disappear. A few months back, my daughter and I got dinner from the Whole Foods hot bar, I didn't bring my phone, and so I was like, let's just eat in the car, and then we'll go home. And then a second later, she looked up at me in horror and said, but you don't have a phone. What if something happens? So I said, I'm sure it'll be fine. You clearly didn't grow up in the 80s. I rode in the back of the station wagon without a seatbelt. I fucking love my smartphone free existence more than almost anything else. So I kept a stockpile of flip phones for a while in the closet in case I needed a new one, but my stockpile ran down. And I was down to my last flip phone last week when it broke. No problem, right? I just roll into my local T-Mobile and grab another one. But they don't have one in stock. Uh Uh-oh, this has never happened before. So they call over to the other T-Mobile store and ask if they have any flip phones in stock. And the lady at the other store says, a what? Uh Uh-oh, the other store is also fresh out of flippies. But I'm chill. I'm a problem solver after all. So I say, no problem, man. I'll just go home and buy one from the online store. The people running my T-Mobile store in Beverly, Massachusetts, phenomenal. Shouts to you guys. But when I get home, I try to log on to the T-Mobile web store, and it asks me to confirm my account by sending a pin to my phone number. Uh-oh, my flip phone is broken, and it's the only phone I have. I can't get that pin. So I'm looking for an alternate verification method. It used to be that I could verify via email, but I can't find that selection on the website. Uh Uh-oh, this has never been a problem before. So I decide to engage T-Mobile web support chat. And they're telling me I can only use the phone pin verification to log into the website. So I say I can't because my phone's broken. They tell me I'm shit out of luck in not so many words. And so I'm like, surely, surely the phone support can assist me. And I call the customer service number. I say my phone's broken, so I can't access the PIN. They say there's no other way to verify. Of course, I respond, that's really fucking dumb because I literally cannot verify any other way. No one cares. So 
I tell them, wait a second, wait a second, I have a good idea. I've got a family plan. I have literally three other humans who could receive a pin on my behalf and allow me to log into the website. I'm told it has to be my device, but my device is broken. Doesn't matter. So then I say, wait a second, wait a second. I can make uh, one of the other people, the account holder, one of the primary decision makers. So I can like give my wife that title and that solves the login problem, right? Nope, because I'm told I can't do it that way either. Now, like five supervisors and roughly four hours into this conversation, somebody says to me, okay, let's try to log into the website again. Can you key in your password and tell me what happens? So I say, what's going to happen is that it's going to ask me to enter a pin that I can't receive on my broken phone. And then what do we do? And my guy says, I don't know. So I say, I think we're done here. Now, I don't know if this has something to do with the data breach that T-Mobile suffered a little while ago, but the fact that whether I'm a solo phone owner or if I have a family plan, I literally cannot access my account or do anything with it without a PIN number being sent to a non-functioning phone is crazy town. The only reason I'm not switching to Verizon or some shit is because my wife won't let me. So fuck you, T-Mobile. This is my white guy's version of Tupac, hit him up. And in this iteration, T-Mobile is Biggie and his posse. But I'm in the soup now, right? Because I have to leave for a conference in Knoxville the next day. And I need a phone. So I trudge into the T-Mobile store and I ask for the cheapest phone they have and they show me a Samsung Galaxy smartphone for $220. Super expensive, but I buy it anyway. And predictably, I fucking hate it. First of all, it's really goddamn big. I don't know where to put it. I don't know what to do with my hands. It's too large for my pocket. And so I have it in the front pocket of my sweatshirt. But what happens if I'm not wearing a sweatshirt? What am I supposed to do? Wear it around my neck like Flavor Flav or some shit? So I add some apps, Outlook, Gmail, Google Drive, OneDrive, Google Voice, Uber, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Grubhub. See, I'm not a total idiot. I know how to order food online. But I turn off all my notifications, and I also turn off location tracking. That's right, eat my ass, the FBI. And I keep this thing turned off most of the time. But I guess the best news is that I can now access the T-Mobile website and buy lots of flip phones. Of course, I'm too cheap to stop using this smartphone, and so I'm just going to have to wait until it dies before I activate my next flip phone, hopefully with Verizon, if my wife lets me, and she won't. Okay, we'll get to our conversation with Bruce LaFetra, the client whisperer, in a second. But let's let our sponsors do some whispering in your ear right now. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, 
Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Okay, let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal podcast sandwich. Today's meat is burnt ends, which doesn't sound like a meat, but which actually is. It's the best barbecue food. Anyway, Autoboss, let's roll out. It's time to interview our guest. Today, we have for you, making his first ever appearance on the Legal Toolkit podcast, is Bruce LaFetra, the client whisperer of Eastwood Strategy Advisors. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jared, and I can't wait for the rump roast. Oh, it's going to be great. (laughs) It's great every time. But this may be the greatest rump roast ever. So we've talked a little bit over the last week or so. I actually was hanging out with you in Tennessee. And Steve Seckler, who's a law firm consultant and recruiter, introduced us. And when Steve introduced us, I was like, I know this guy. Why do I know this guy? And it's because of like the client whisperer nickname you have. I think it's super memorable. So like the obvious question for me and for everybody in the audience is like, How did you come up with that? And what does it mean? So I didn't come up with it. Actually, a client came up with that. And he actually badgered me for a long time. And I thought it (laughs) sounded kind of cheesy. And eventually he beat me down. And people say, that's great. That describes what you do. Because really, my thing is all about how do you think like your best clients? And if you can see your firm the way your best clients see it through their eyes, the world looks really different. And it's less complicated. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, how long did it take for him to finally get you to change the name or adopt the name? Year, two years, three years? Two years. Two years. <laughs> wow, you're holding out for a long time there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your process because this is sort of different than almost anything I've ever heard. And I guess I'd start with um, one of the things you were telling me when we were sitting down together was... Um, you kind of flip the script on marketing conversations that you have with business owners. So what does that mean? How does that work for you? So there's there's two things uh, that have been described. One is flipping the script and the other is kind of doing marketing upside down. Flipping the script is, is about m- focusing on results, not about what the situation is in the background in you. It's what were the results and then how did you get there? And usually that conversation is a lot shorter. It's a lot clearer and it has a lot more relevance to the other person. The the other thing that's kind of related is I've been uh, been told I do marketing upside down. And what that means <laughs> yeah. is is that instead of talking about your ideal client, I always talk about who are you the ideal provider for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Instead that's of totally talking about you and yeah, you and why you're so great, talk about the client. And, and what you, how you improve their business. Instead of adding a bunch of skills, you have to do all these new things. It's change your perspective. So you see it from their perspective, then you know what to do. And the result of that is instead of it being more complex, it gets a lot simpler. Yeah, it's funny. Um, this guy named Sam Hink. Do you follow basketball at all? I don't know if we talked about this, like NBA stuff. Not, not really. I'm so, a baseball so, fan. Okay, all right. So Sam Hinky used to be the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. And apparently, like, he had, he had only one set of clothes that he would wear. He had 30 of the same shirt, 30 of the same pairs of pants. And his whole thing was like, 
I don't want to make decisions. <laughs> I don't want to make as few decisions as possible. So I just get up every morning and I put the same clothes on, which some people would say that's a little bit weird, but it's kind of the thesis that you're talking about, which is like fewer decision points, less stress, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I knew a guy who, when he retired, he did that. Although he didn't have thirty, he had five shirts because he did laundry every <laughs> That's week. That's still pretty good. But uh, <laughs> but the, but the but the thing is, is is think about process thinking. If if you can make some key foundational decisions, then the other decisions that you have to make, the tactical decisions, flow you smoothly from that. You're not constantly, do I do this? Do I do A? Do I do B? Because you've made the flow and you know where it goes from there, and that's why it's simple. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. The other thing you said that I thought was really interesting, and I see this for law firms all the time, as I know you do, is you read any law firm website and it's all about the lawyers. Like, I went to this school, I did these things. And clients could not care less about that, <laughs> what I've seen. And it sounds like that's your thesis as well. So, like, is, that, is it tough to convince lawyers of that? Or once you say it, do they kind of get it? Well, it, it depends. And I kind of divide lawyers into, into two, two buckets. There's a big bucket and then there's a smaller bucket. And the big bucket is the typical lawyer who's told how great they are, you know, the classic, you know, the ego. They're, many of them are nice people, but they're experts in what they do. And their business is about selling their time. They do legal work. They get paid for it. The flip side of that is the business person whose business is legal services, and they're focused on how do they right. scale this business? How profitable am I? Can I figure ways to earn more without working harder? That's a very different mindset. And lawyers, in my experience, some of them are some of them want to do that right from the start, but a lot of them it's a really it's a really hard transition for them to make. So it sounds like you walk people through a little bit. Of that. So some of what you do is talking to people about a different mindset they can have as well. Yeah, well, I really looking, the, the world's a big place and I could try to change everyone in the world, which would exhaust <laughs> me, or I can find the right. people that have that mindset and help them really excel. And and I've opted for the, the second course where people that have that mindset, but haven't figured out how to fully take advantage of it. And I work with them. And so I'm not trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to, you know, accelerate their prog their progress and their results. That seems like the smarter course of action. Um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing you told me is that you start at kind of step zero with attorneys as far as like building out marketing strategy. I think I think you have all these really interesting concepts that I don't hear other people talking about. So when you say you're starting at step zero, what does that mean? Like, where do you begin? What is step zero versus like step one? Sure. And, and once again, that came from a client who said, Bruce, you, you start at step zero. Everyone starts at step one. And step zero is really thinking back to two uh, kind of key questions. One is, how do you improve the client's business? And if you do that, now you start to be able to look at their business through your own, through you look, see with your eyes, their business through their eyes. And the world looks a lot less complicated if you're not trying to guess about, well, what do they care about? And then the second piece is to really focus on why do your best clients, and your best clients are the ones that you would clone if you could, if you had the power. And so now you're not thinking about oh, all these clients with all this variety, what do they care about? Your best clients choose you for a reason. You may not be really aware of what that reason is. That's that first question. It's a much smaller set, and they're more homogeneous in terms of why they want to work with you. So that becomes a really powerful question. And it's about how do you improve their business? 
That's what they care about. They don't care about your your CV. They right. care about, right. are you going to improve their business? You do that, and that's an alignment of goals. So if you your goals are aligned with their goals, that's the basis of trust. And when you have trust, things happen a lot faster. Now they're asking you, have you done this before? You sound great, Jared. Have you ever done this? Yeah, I've done this hundreds of times. Oh, <laughs> boom, I'm ready to move as right. opposed to, right. Jared, make the case for why I should work with you. Yeah which yeah. is a much harder case. And so that really becomes this foundation of step zero. When you do that, now all of a sudden, you know, everything you're doing in terms of whether it's business development or marketing is both simpler, there's clarity, and you know what you need to do. You're not guessing. You truly are the client whisperer. Not only are you helping lawyers <laughs> with their clients, but you're listening to your own clients, which is great. So I would guess that, that whole concept of like, how do you improve a client's business? Super simple. I get it. And, and when you say it, it makes a lot of sense. Hard do, to get at, but super simple concept. That That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Okay, so the concept is simple, but like, how do you get to it? Like, what mm. steps do you take to figure that out? Because it's slightly different for every client, right? How you would specifically improve their business. I, I will say for each each, I'll take a group of you know, your best clients. There are things that you do that maybe look a little different, but there are things that you actually do. So it's not different for every client, but for types of clients and for firms. It's yeah, different groups for every of clients. Firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the trick to get to understand that is one, to focus on what's the impact. You know, ask that question. How do you improve their business? But in a lot of cases, you can do that superficially. What mm. I do is I have in-depth you know, interview that I do with the client, my client's best clients. So this is the CEO or the CFO or the EVP of the client. I'm spending you know, 45 minutes or right. an hour with them. This is not the 10 minute, why did you choose Jared <laughs> kind of yeah. question. And it's really, well, and, and the other part about it is that it's really focused around the client. So instead of, if it's your, if you were my client and I'm working with your clients, it's not, you know, how do you fit into Jared's business? It's all about, well, how does Jared, how does he improve your, mm. your business, your life, your business? And first off, it's a question nobody's ever asked them. Right. So it's intriguing. Right. Secondly, it gets them talking about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. Even the CEO has no time, loves <laughs> to talk about himself. And that allows the onion to get peeled. And when you peel the onion back, there's, there's, it takes a couple forms, but it's, it's basically, it's like, oh man, there's a, there's this thing I never really thought about, but if Jared did it, diff stop doing that, it would be a totally different relationship. Yeah. That's yeah. your secret sauce. We've now defined your secret sauce. If we define it, we can bottle it. And if we can bottle it, we can scale it to other people in your firm because it's not the magic mojo rainmaker intuition. We've, it's something you actually do. And if your firm has a culture or ways of doing things, it's something that can be spread to other people. That's great. And so I, I would guess that like when you're sitting down with these law firm clients, which a law firm is probably never going to do on its own, it's a, it's a really vi it's a really valuable experience for both sides because you've done it before, you're good at it, and lawyers just would never take the time to do that probably ever. That, that's, that's true. And then the other part that makes it more palatable or whatever you want to say is because I'm focused on their best clients right. only. Right. It's, it's all good yeah. news. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's things that you do that you don't realize are having an impact that have an impact as opposed to coming to tell you all the, 
all the things you do wrong. I mean, this is the big contrast with the all client survey that so many firms right. do is think about that. Who's going to be most vocal <laughs> on the survey? The clients that you have the worst yes. fit with. So you end up spending all this resource to make your firm more attractive to the clients you don't actually want while taking for granted the ones that that generate the profit and don't generate headaches. Yeah, haters going to hate. What are you going to do? I think it's a I think it's a really interesting model that you developed. And then there was another concept I wanted to address before we're done here, which is um you have this thing called a killer question. I I I had not heard of that before. So can you explain that and how you use that and how you advise people to use it? Sure. And the killer question does not come from me. So um, we can, I, we can I give have, appropriate credit here. It. That's fine. You can source it if you want. Yeah. So, so it, yeah, it comes, it comes out of a uh, networking, professional networking group. by part of yep. Provisors and some people there. But the killer question is because you can't remember. I mean, let's face it. If I want to refer business to you, Jared, I'm not going to you know, learn all about your firm and, and everyone that I know in my network and become a salesman for you. you know, I don't want to do that. But if I can remember one question that I can ask people that will be a filter, and then if they say yes, it's a, you know, usually a yes or no yeah. question, then I say, you know, I don't really understand all the legal you know, support and technology that you can do, but I know a guy who can answer those questions. <laughs> and so the question... You know, for me, I always ask people to ask on my behalf is simply, you know, if you could clone your best, would you like to clone your best clients, That's the great. ones that yeah. create profit but not headaches? I like it. Well done. Well done. And and surprisingly, that 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 question does not produce a yes for everyone, which is great. Yeah, you're filtering people at the same time. I'm filtering people. This has been fun. I only have one more question for you. That was a fast fifteen minutes. One thing you're telling me is you're sort of a solopreneur in your business. A lot of people out there are looking to grow the biggest business possible in terms of the most people, but managing people can be a pain in the ass. So why do you choose to stay solo? So it's actually a pretty easy question. Is that the part of the, uh, the, no, 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 the part of the job that I, well, I also spent years in California and and I know a lot of employment lawyers. And so there's like, why would I ever want employees? Um, That's, that's the snarky question. Especially in California with the laws. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the real uh, answer is that the part of what I do the most that I love the most is being able to take those interviews and be able to find the insights because let's face it, everyone doesn't say it the same way. It's something you do. And so there's a little bit of, you know, spider sense or whatever to be able to draw what the common threads are and then be able to communicate that back to my clients, people that weren't thinking this way. And let's face it, there's multiple partners often. And so be able to communicate. That's the part that gets me excited and gets me out of bed in the morning. And if I was just managing other people that did that, my life wouldn't be as rich. So very fair. I have, I have done that and I, you know, so I won't be a multi-billion dollar business ever, but uh, I'll, I'll die happy. (laughs) Um, This has been really fun. Can you, you're going to stick around for the last segment, right? Absolutely. All right. You're going to humiliate me on the rump roast. It won't be too humiliating. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned, as we mentioned, for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend. 
it's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Welcome, everybody. That's right. We're here at the rear end of the legal toolkit. It's called a rump roast, and it's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. So, Bruce, thanks for coming back. You and I just spent some time hanging out in Knoxville, Tennessee, your adopted home. I had never been to Knoxville before, and I was pleasantly surprised. It was pretty cool. Do you want to say anything about Knoxville before we get started? Well, I, I, I've, it's my adopted home, and people you will say, where are you from? And I now say, I'm from Knoxville. I just lived someplace else previously. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's a university town, so it's not in the sticks, but it's, uh, but it's also got that Southern charm that, uh, where people are just nice to, if you, if you disagree with people, you can still be nice to them. Yeah. And that's yeah. a really nice thing to have. I had a fun time down there. So I wanted to take a moment to quiz you on Knoxville's present and past in a segment I'm calling, wait for this, Technical Knocks Out. That's right. We're doing it. Um, as, as a new resident, I feel like you're going to crush this. So let's start out with some softballs. Question number one, what's the name for the group of individuals who park their boats in the Tennessee River for the University the of Tennessee Navy. football games? Yes. Is park the right term, by the way? I don't know whether park the right I'm, term. I'm not sure what you should do to it, stop a boat. <laughs> the, well, there's, there's a dock, but there's, there's far more boats than there's dock space. So people, you know, more against the other boats. And, uh, so yeah, people are just hanging out water. in the river. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Like, I'm kind of jealous. I want to do it. Well, the stadium only seats 105,000 people. So where do the other people going to go? <laughs> right. Onto the water. <laughs> All right. So you're one for one. I told you this isn't going to be that bad. All right. Next question. The Tennessee Supreme Court is in Knoxville, not Nashville, the capital. True or false? It used to be. There's a, ah. there's a Supreme Court building. I do not believe it actually sits in Knoxville. So it's a little bit true and a little bit false. All right, you're two for two. You're two for two. I did walk by the Supreme Court building in Knoxville. All right, I got one more for you. One more easy one, then we're going to take it up a notch. What popular mu- music festival just took place in Knoxville last week? Oh, you are my friend. Big years. So can you talk about that a little bit? Have you done that before or no? Because I saw a lot of people milling around town going to concerts. 
you know, people last year was big years, you know, had gotten, you know, waylaid by COVID like so many other things. But, um, you know, Tennessee is, you know, a music capital of the, of the country. And you, you hear about Nashville. Knoxville has a rich, rich music history. Uh, again, tends to be a little bit more bluegrass uh, roots kinds of things. Which I love. I love fabulous music. Fabulous scene. And um, you, can, you can hear just about anything here. There's music constantly. So, yeah, it's a great place for music lovers. Go to Nashville and you're assaulted by things. Uh, Knoxville, <laughs> it's a little, little friendlier. A little easier. Right. All right. Now I know you're probably feeling like the unofficial tour guide of Knoxville right now. So let's let's up the difficulty level a little bit. You're three for three. I've I've only had like two people go 100 percent here. So I'm going to do four more questions a little bit harder. Let's see how you do. Who was the founder of Knoxville? Now we're entering into the well, historical. Mister Knox. He's, he's, <laughs> he's he actually he actually signed signed the uh, the Declaration of Independence. So it goes way back. So I have the founder of Knoxville being James White, who established his home there in 18, wow. 1786 as a fort and a cluster of cabins. Oh, well, maybe, maybe However, founder, but, yeah, but but naming credit gets gets all the uh, gets all the credit. You got that was going to be my next question, Knoxville. So we've named, named the parkway after, after after James White. Yes. Okay, I did not know that. See, you have Knox even more information city, than I got in White place. White gets a freeway. <laughs> <laughs> and Knox was Henry Knox, right? You said Henry signer Knox, of the yes. Declaration of Independence, right? And also Washington's War Secretary, President Washington's War yes. Secretary. Great. All right, three more. Three more or two more? Two more, two more. And guess what? I'm even going to give you multiple choice on these because I'm a nice guy. So, well, actually, two with multiple choice, one without. What is Knoxville's historic nickname? I learned this recently. I didn't know. The nickname of the city of Knoxville. Well, it's not really historic because it only goes back to 1982. It's the Scruffy City. And the story behind that is when the, the World's Fair in 1982, a Wall yeah. Street Journal reporter said, oh, they can't pull it off, this scruffy little city. And Knoxville's taking it on as its own. <laughs> Bruce, you're we even you. have the Scruffy City Hall, which is a nice bar in Market Square. <laughs> I'm, I'm super impressed. All right. I got only two more questions. Oh, I should say World's Fair in Knoxville was in 1982, right? And they still have Correct. like the little orb in town, which yeah, I know I saw. When I was at. Sun Sphere. Yes, right outside my hotel. All right. You're, you're killing it right now. Two more questions. This one's a little bit tougher, I think. Although maybe not. What popular soft drink was created in Knoxville? I'm going to give you multiple choice if you need Mountain it. Dew. You don't even need it. Okay. You want to tell the Mountain Dew story? <laughs> I don't know the Mountain Dew story, okay. but, but if you think about moonshine and Mountain Dew and, you know, corn, corn takes up a lot of space to store. If you distill it down, it, it doesn't take so much space. Right. So, yeah, Mountain Dew created in Knoxville by Hartman Beverages in the late 1940s. That's very impressive. Like, I had the multiple choice ready to go. You didn't even need it. All right, one more. We'll do a fun one. In 1974, what did Walter Cronkite call Knoxville. I got multiple choice if you want it. Just say the word. Okay. Yeah, let's go multiple choice on this one. The home of America's greatest World's Fair, the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountains, or the streaking capital of the world. The streaking capital of the world. Yeah. How could it not be? Right. Did you, did you know about this? 1974. Apparently, I, they I knew had about the like streaking. I didn't know about did Walter you? Cronkite. Make, yeah, I, but yeah, oh yeah. It's, of course, it's it's local lore. Yeah, I didn't know about this. Apparently, like there were five thousand people streaking down the main drag 
in Knoxville. Is this true? <laughs> it's true. Well, I don't know about the whether the number was. I can't confirm. The I, number, I have. But, I have uh, the yeah, number is five thousand. But you know, yeah. it might be. It yeah. might be the whole thing where like there are actually two thousand people there, but five thousand people claim to be there. I don't know. Bruce, that was impressive. You knocked it out of the park. One of the best awesome. Rump Roast performances of all time. I'm legitimately impressed. Thank you, sir. Rump Roast Hall of Fame. Rump Roast Hall. We got to establish that. All right, I'll work on that. Bruce, thanks for coming. We'll have to have you back sometime. This has been way fun. Okay, good, good. Thank you. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Okay. If you want to find out more about Bruce LaFetra, the client whisperer in Eastwood Strategy Advisors, visit eastwoodsa.com, E-A-S-T-W-O-O-D-S-A.com, eastwoodsa.com, like Clint Eastwood. Now, for those of you listening intently in Flippin' Tennessee, let me tell you, I wish I was, I've got a great playlist for you. It only includes songs that represent the Nashville sound of long-loved country music, but it seems like I've been spending a lot of time in Tennessee lately. Sadly, I've run out of time today to talk about the ending of Lost and how I'm the one dude who liked it. But join us next time when I tell you why I think Star Wars sucks, even though I liked The Last Jedi. This is Jared Career reminding you that Greenland sharks can live up to 500 years. Why? Because they're cold as ice, just like Foreigner. you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.